When we get together at dinner, the four of us, we ask ourselves the same three questions every night. Number one, what has the virus taken away from you today? Number two, what has the virus not taken away from you today? And number three, what has the coronavirus reality given you today? And it's been really great to process that. Hey guys, I know I say I'm excited at every podcast, but I would be lying if I didn't say I'm excited again today because I have my bro, my brother J.R. Briggs on the podcast. Welcome in, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. It's always great to chat with you. It is uh, just a strange season. We can't see each other. Our families can't get together. You live across the country in the Philly area. I'm in Colorado. So maybe the best we can do is to come on the podcast and talk about some burning topics uh, today. And resilience has been one for you. You just recently launched a podcast and you are seeing this huge need uh, for resilience today. So excited to talk about that. Um, but before we do, uh, talk a little bit about just life as a human and as a dad and as a leader. What's been hard about this season of quarantine and stay at home? And what's actually been really good about this season? It's a great question. And it's one that our family actually wrestles with each night when we get together for dinner. And as you know, your your two nephews, ages 13 and, and 10, when we get together at dinner, the four of us, we ask ourselves the same three questions every night. Number one, what has the virus taken away from you today? Number two, what has the virus not taken away from you today? And number three, what has the coronavirus reality given you today? And it's been really great to process that. And I, I've been continually amazed, both Megan and I have been amazed at how 13 and 10-year-old boys can really articulate this well. And so it allows us to express our lament it allows us to come to awareness and it also allows us to express gratitude, which are all things that we want to make sure that are cultivated uh, in our family. And so a lot of those answers have been, you know, what, what areas of the world haven't been turned upside down? Um, you know, there's a lot that's been taken away from us. And even at dinner, our family says things like, man, that field trip I've been looking forward to for, with my class all, all year was supposed to be this week. And one of them will say, I just feel really sad about that. Or, um, you know, uh, it's spring, summer, and almost everything in the fall, uh, as far as speaking engagements and travel for me has been canceled. Uh, you and I, uh, with dad every year going our city, year trip, we just canceled that, you know, for when we go in August. So that wouldn't hurt, there's, just been, there's been a lot of, yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of loss, but at the same time, um, I'll say this, which sounds negative, but it's actually a positive in 10 weeks. And we're here in the Philly area. So we've been in lockdown for 10 weeks and, uh, it looks like we will be for, for several more weeks. We, there's been so much good that's happened, but in the last 10 weeks, I have not slept well one night. I have not had a restful night's sleep in 10 weeks and it's not out of stress. It's not out of worry or anxiety or fear. It's actually the opposite. It's um, my mind is buzzing with so many new ideas and creative things we could try and ways we could do and attempt this, that it's like the squirrels, a thousand squirrels in my brain wake up and just run around on the inside of my mind at about 11 PM at night. So it's, um, that's been frustrating physically. But I have been incredibly invigorated with new creativity, new ideas, new things popping up. I've just had this sort of focus and momentum and fervor in 
uh, communicating things and coming up with new ideas and developing new projects. And one of those being the, being the new, the new podcast. So it's been really strange because there's negatives, there's positives. Um, we're connecting as a family in some amazing ways, but we certainly miss people. Um, I'm, I, I miss wearing pants. I'm not wearing pants right now. Maybe that's too much for your uh, listeners to, uh, to know. No, I'm just kidding. But I miss uh, wearing pants. We'll quote you on that. That will be tweeted. <laughs> Actually, that's going to be the title of this episode coming in from Philly with no pants. <laughs> but, uh, no, in all seriousness, there are lots of, uh, good and bad from this, but I, I think one of the questions we're asking ourselves is, uh, as a family, we were on a walk the other day and I said, okay, boys, six months from now, or even 10 years from now, when we think about or look back on the spring of 2020 with the coronavirus and the realities of that, what do we want to remember of who we were as a family? What do we want to be proud of, of who we became? And that's been really fun to just sort of retroactively, proactively look into the future and then look back. Um, so, but it's, it's been wild for all of us uh, in various degrees, for sure. Well, we both coach leaders and we both are just in relationship with a lot of people as well. So text calls, hundreds of touch points over the last few months, uh, as well as thinking about ourselves, there's this weird relationship we have to our energy levels right now, because it's exhausting to just face this amount of change. And yet creativity is popping up. I think in every leader is having some sort of creative way that they have to lead, they want to lead in the future, new ideas coming out, new podcasts, people getting back in the art studios again. So it's been you know crazy to just watch that unfold and say, in some ways, I'm more exhausted than normal. In other ways, I'm renewed. And I don't have as many speaking trips. Those got taken off the books. 20 or so opportunities for Julie and I, and I'm sure probably in that range for you as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes you know, beyond just babies, maybe uh, eight or nine months after this, it's going to be exciting to see sort of creative babies that come out. And so obviously yours, um, talk about the podcast. Why is resilience something that in the hundreds of topics you can chase right now, you say, this is worth me camping out on? Yeah, there, the, the idea that we've believed over the last 10, 20, maybe 30 years is that efficiency is the most important thing. And what we're finding over the last two or three months is that efficiency is great until it jumps the tracks and then it becomes incredibly inefficient and it becomes very brittle and vulnerable. And yet what we find is that resilience is the opposite end from efficiency. Resilience is the ability to be able to recover readily from adversity. It's almost like buoyancy. When you pr push a beach ball down under the water, it's going to pop up somewhere. And so I would even add to that definition, it's not only the ability to recover readily, but also to flourish in the midst of adversity. And so I really believe that the organizations, the businesses, the corporations, the churches, the nonprofits, the teams that will come out stronger from this will not be the most efficient. They will not be the biggest or the, the richest or whatever superlative you want to fill in the blank. It will be the organizations and churches and businesses and teams that are the most resilient. And resiliency is just going to become even more important in the days ahead. Um, you know, there's a term called VUCA, V-U-C-A, that's been used for a while. It was first introduced by the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is just a couple hours from us here. And that acronym stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. 
And those have been around for a while. That term kind of got famous around 9-11 and it's kind of dropped off a little bit. But we are finding that we really do live in a VUCA world. And right now that, that VUCA world is rearing its big, ugly head. And we can have one of two ways to view it. Oh, I can't wait till we get back to normal, which one of the things we talk about in the podcast is there will be no return to normal. That's a phrase that we're not going to be using moving forward uh, that I'm committed to. And I know other leaders are as well. It's a new reality. And so we can't just hunker down and say, well, we just get back to the glory days of what it was two or three months ago before the coronavirus. No, uh, it's, it's new territory. And how are we going to learn? And how are we going to unlearn? Um, when, when something like this happens, not an interruption, this is not an interruption, this is a disruption. When things are disrupted like this, that, and the paradigm shifts, the reset button is hit and we all go back to zero, especially the leader. And so if a leader is not willing to be resilient and to learn and to unlearn and grow in this season, they're going to be left behind. I really believe that very strongly. Uh, talk, uh, share those four again, VUCA. Yeah, VUCA. V stands for volatile, U, uncertain, C, complex, A, ambiguous. So the world is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. If that's the world, if that's the context, if that's the reality in which we live and try to lead now, it's going to be a different way we've got to approach it than we have in the past. Yeah, our, our mutual friend Steve Cuss was on the podcast, and he was talking about the anxiety of ambiguity. And so I've watched five distinct phases since corona hit. Uh, that we're processing and especially as leaders, because we have to be processing it at multiple levels. And I'm calling this the ambiguous summer. Like, what's it supposed to be? What's this new different going to be? Are we going on vacation? What will we do for fun? How much should we work? Um, what is actually going to be left? Are my kids going to go to school in the fall? Like all of that ambiguity is weighing on us. So it's interesting that that was one of the, I think VUCA, it's like right now what all of us are feeling in this moment. Yeah. Um, JR, you've always been a fan of Venn diagrams. Uh, I'm a visual learner. I'm not super bright. So Venn diagrams really help me to, to be able to see it. There's two that I really want to go over right now. Um, talk about this mix of preparedness and uh, expectancy and, and how that can be helpful and kind of that space between those. Yeah. So as you said, I'm, I'm a huge Venn diagram fan. I have a tattoo on my right arm of a Venn diagram. I mean, that's how much I believe in these. I'm writing a book on it that comes out in August, the whole point of how do we live in the middle of a Venn diagram. And so if you think about two overlapping circles, almost like you'd see like the Audi symbol or the Olympic rings, um, the, the overlap, that football shape has a name and it's called a mandorla, which is the Italian word for almond. Cause it looks like an almond shape, a football shape. And so if you think about two circles, on one side, the left circle is prepared and ready that we need to just deal with the, rea the reality that things have been disrupted. People have died. People are getting sick. There's a lot of fear going on. And on the other circle, on the right side, is being hopeful and expectant. And what happens is, unfortunately, oftentimes we gravitate towards one or the other where we major in one circle and we minor in the other. So we might be hopeful and expectant, but not really realistic. And so what happens is we sound like a, a kind of a fluffy Hallmark card, but it's not in touch with reality. 
Um, but on the other end, if we major in being prepared and ready, but we're not hopeful and expectant, it can come across fearful, frenetic, cynical, hopeless. And no one wants that. No one wants to follow a hopeless leader. And so we've got to be people that double major, that that overlap on those two circles between being hopeful and expectant and prepared and ready. And I just kind of made a diagram, put it online, and it kind of took off a little bit. Uh, people kind of picked up on it. And I just colored the middle of that diagram yellow. And I just said, it, leaders, it's time for us to live in the yellow. And uh, yellow has always been a, uh, a color of hope. Van Gogh, every time he painted, when he painted hope, he, he painted it in the color of yellow. And so it's our time to live it, live the yellow. And so that's that's why that Venn diagram is, is so important. Um, there's not a cut and dried equation that we're supposed to run it through. You know, if you add three units of this and two measures of that and stir, you're going to have a perfect solution. No, we, we need uh, to live in the tension of that. And I don't mean tension like conflict, but more like rubber band. Um, and it actually reminds me of something that Andy Stanley said. He said, Leader, leadership is less about problems that need to be fixed and more about the tension that needs to be managed. And so as leaders, we always have to live in that managed tension between preparedness and hopefulness. I think about even yellow in terms of, you know, traffic signals of green, you know, everything's all good, proceed as normal, right? Find the new normal. Uh, and then, you know, stop of just, um, you know, depression of, of, you know, so many areas right now we've lost this. And what is that space in between where we can proceed with caution, uh, i.e. discernment today, I just think that resilience and discernment have to be connected in in so many ways. Even when do we get back up? When do you try something um, that you've done before and try to resurrect it? When do you just completely start over again? And that's a lot of what we're coaching people through. I would imagine you you as well in that. Um, yeah, can you talk absolutely. about that just a little bit? That in between space of how's discernment and resilience connected, especially in this season. Yeah, well, there's another Venn diagram. Um, this one is a three-circle diagram. So if you think uh, about kind of the, a lot of, you know, people would think about the Trinity symbol, the three overlapping circles, which is called a triquetra, uh, which the Celts made very famous. But if you think about three circles overlapping, um, and you think about wisdom in one circle, compassion in the other, and courage in the third, think about those three circles. All three of those are crucial because people say, that's a great diagram you have between preparedness and hopefulness, but how do I know how to do that? How do I know I'm doing that? You'd use the word discernment. Yeah, we could use the word wisdom. So we need all three of those. We need wisdom, we need compassion, and we need courage. Because if we have wisdom and compassion, but no courage, we can be very riskless. If we have compassion and courage, but no wisdom, we can be very reckless. But if we have wisdom and courage without compassion, that's incredibly careless. And I mean, care dash less, like without care. Um, but when we have wisdom, courage, and compassion all together, that's priceless. And that's the kind of leadership that we need moving forward. And that's actually a prayer that I pray uh, many times a week. Lord, uh, I I long for you to grant me equal measures of wisdom, compassion, and courage. And I just feel like there. if I only prayed one prayer, if I could boil it down to praying for how I can be a better leader, it would be, Lord, I want to be wise. I want to be compassionate. I want to be courageous in equal measures. Teach me how to do that. Yeah, that pretty much covers it, right? I mean, resilience sort of has to fall into those three. And it's, it's interesting, everyone, you know, that word compassion, everyone talking about compassion fatigue, empathy fatigue, 
Um, but man, if we don't find a way each day to let the Lord renew us and refill us, we are going to be completely self-focused on preservation of us, our team, our leadership, our organization in the season. Um, so I find myself most easily missing the compassion piece that just says, we're with you. We love you. We care for you. And, um, just how helpful that's been, even to get a text from you or from another friend and just say, I'm praying for you today. I love you. And it's like, ah, oh, don't need to solve any problem. They're praying for me in the midst of the tension. So if you're listening to this, maybe it's been a while, um, but call a friend, text a friend, let them know that you love them, maybe what your specific prayer is for them. And JR, you're, you're good at doing that as, as a brother and as a leader in, in many ways. Where are you seeing resilience right now? Um, you know, I'm sure as you start to, you know, speak and podcast about that, you're seeing it pop up. What are some examples? Yeah, Megan and I were actually just talking about this less than an hour ago. Uh, when I went downstairs for lunch, I was eating my salad and we were talking about the school district that our boys are in. And our public school district is very, very good. And um, they, I, in fact, I challenged Megan. I said, can we name another organization in our region that has been as resilient in the midst of this uncertainty as our local school district. Now, not every school district can say that because I know many were struggling with that, but for two weeks, it was pause. It was kind of two weeks, you know, we'll figure this out, enjoy kind of an extended uh, spring break. <laughs> and in those two weeks, they went distance learning. They did support. They had full support with uh, counselors and guidance counselors, uh, therapists. Um, they had tech support. They had meals and lunches for underprivileged kids up and rolling. It's been unbelievable. So I'm really proud of our North Penn School District and the way in which they have been very resilient in pivoting quite well. Um, there, there are other conferences. Uh, I'm speaking this week at a, a, a conference that uh, was supposed to be next month. And in the last uh, handful of weeks, they've done a great job of moving it earlier, moving it online having speakers be interactive in this. I've been very impressed by, in just a few weeks, how they were able to turn things around. I've seen this with different networks. I'm, I'm fortunate to work for an organization called Fresh Expressions. Uh, Fresh Expressions has been, in my opinion, I know I'm a little biased here, but has been on the cutting edge of helping to equip the church of really pivoting quickly. That's been a big amount of feedback that we've received is, wow, you guys have really not only turned this around in your organization, but at the same time, been able to serve where pastors and leaders are at right now. Um, and so that's that's been a joy to be a part of. It's been exhausting, um, but it's been very fulfilling. But on the flip side, Alan, I, I'm actually quite concerned that there will be a handful of churches that won't make it. Uh, many denominational leaders and superintendents, some of them anecdotally are predicting that up to 30 to 40% of the churches in their district or conference won't make it. Uh, it may not be next week, but in the midst of all of this. And, and that that concerns me. And it's not the big churches. It's not the small churches. It's not the rural churches or the urban churches. It's the churches that are unwilling to recognize that this season requires a different set of tools and a different set of mindsets than we had in the past. And that's why one of the books that I absolutely love, uh, and uh, Todd Bolsinger is a good friend. Todd is, um, he wrote a book in 2015 called Canoeing the Mountains, which I think is prescient. I think it's more important today than it was when he wrote it five years ago. Um, and he uses the story of Lewis and Clark 
uh, in the Louisiana Purchase and moving out west under Thomas Jefferson. And uh, Meriwether Lewis, and Alan, you know this, Meriwether Lewis, you know, we used to play basketball at Meriwether Lewis Elementary School. Meriwether Lewis was in and around, you know, Thomas Jefferson, Charlottesville, Virginia, where we grew up. Uh, But Meriwether Lewis was an expert canoeer. And there was a belief that the maps uh, in the time of Thomas Jefferson, um, that the maps uh, revealed, uh, they believe that the map maker said that the Missouri River, if you took that, it would take you all the way out west and dump you into the Pacific Ocean. The only problem is they hit one major obstacle called the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> and there are no rivers to canoe at that point. And so you have an expert canoeer who was hired for this expedition in Meriwether Lewis, who gets to the point where they say there's no river and we can either head back or we can say, you know what, we've got to let go of our canoeing expert skills and we need to move forward now by learning a new skill. And so they learned about hiking and climbing and they had to depend upon people on the margins, locals who were already there. There was a young teenage Native American by the name of Sacagawea. We were taught Sacagawea, but it's pronounced Sacagawea. Sacagawea taught them many things uh, in their journey across uh, out to the West. And uh, so all that to say, I, I would highly recommend that book, Canoeing the Mountains. Um, but I am concerned about churches. This is a change or die type situation. Now, the Church of Jesus Christ will always continue, but I'm talking local expressions of church. It's change or die. And I don't think there are enough churches taking that very seriously right now. And that's where I'm deeply concerned. Summer. I mean, such a strange time, again, as we enter this ambiguous summer, um, which leaves us at the ambiguous fall. So we don't have a crystal ball. We don't have a direct picture of what this looks like. I'm curious, JR, what do you think this looks like in the fall and beyond? What is resilience going to look like? Yeah, I, I think that there are still too many people that are saying, well, once we get back to normal, well, this was just a little hiccup. This was just a little, you know, interruption for a few weeks in the, in the spring of uh, 2020. Uh, I'm with Andy Crouch on this. Andy Crouch at Praxis Labs, um, the folks there. I believe this is going to be uh, a several-year impact for us. Um, I mean, when the job losses are at the highest they've been since the Depression, um, you know, domestic violence uh, calls are spiking. We're beginning to see suicides. Um, the, these things, uh, there's trauma there is deep trauma here that will take years to unravel. I mean, every element, every system from professional sports, the prison system, there are people, nonviolent offenders that are being let out because they don't want to spread the virus. I mean, it's upending education, the prison system, sports, uh, concerts, music venues, um, public uh, parks, uh, churches, uh, the economy. Uh, restaurants, how people gather, where people gather. I just think that this is going to have long-term impact for us. Will we be in school or not? I don't know. Um, But uh, several weeks ago when there were Ivy League schools wondering if they would even be open uh, in the fall, that made me say, whoa, uh, this is is big. So um, I'm not about to be Nostradamus here and look into the future and predict whether we're going to have school in the fall or when we're going to be able to come back with churches fully but I think sociologically, this is changing us a great deal. I, I think we're becoming afraid of people. Um, we're afraid of crowds, which is going to have an impact on how we think about the church. One of the, one of the ways over the last several weeks I've been equipping um, uh, 
about 100 pastors around the country uh, recently, is helping them think instead of one organized, centralized church to have a centralized vision, vision, but a distributed church in smaller micro communities or micro churches or house churches that are gathered, because this is either going to be a short-term, mid-term or long-term reality for many churches. So I, I think, you know, obviously that's my field is thinking more in the, the church and leadership realm. Um, but I think this will, I, I think, and I think it's a wonderful thing. I think this is a good disruption for us to be creative and innovative. But if we're not going to be uh, resilient in this season, this is going to be a problem. And I do think it's a, a, a multi-year thing, not a, not a few month thing. And, you know, Peter, Peter Drucker said it well. He said the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence. It is to act with yesterday's logic. <laughs> and I'm just concerned we're using our canoeing skills when there's no river to be found and there's only mountains, uh, on the horizon. So, uh, what would that look like in the fall? I, will we be shelter in place, shelter at home? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to try to predict that, but I, I do think this will have a massive impact and there's so much hurting and healing. Um, one of the things that's been creative for me in all this is, uh, I haven't shared this with many people, but I have in about five weeks time, I wrote nine, a little over 90% of a, a first draft of a book and it's on the idea of, of healing. And what does it mean for the church to be people of healing right now? Um, there's so much trauma. There's so many wounds and hurts. Uh, that I believe in the the days ahead. Uh, the world is already looking for healers. Um, the, who do we say our heroes are? They're those in the medical profession. Um, but I think if we don't join the healers and we don't become healers in the name of Jesus, uh, we are going to be seen as even more irrelevant in the days ahead than we have been in the past. Yeah, man, Bolsinger's Canoeing the Mountains, such a useful analogy right now. And he actually just released an ebook, Leadership for a time of pandemic. And I know you've interviewed him. Uh, we've interviewed him here on the podcast. And man, like that, if we don't embrace resilience right now, we are going to get left behind. But for a leader listening and saying, I'm probably not described as a resilient leader. How can people grow in resilience? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'm not trying to just, you know, be a little self-promoted here, but this is the whole, that's the whole purpose of why I started the podcast was to just twice a week, eight to 12 minutes each time to be able to just equip people with little uh, valuable nuggets along the way, if they really are caring about this. I think the first thing is they just have to have to care and be open to it. If they're not teachable and open and hungry and learning and leaning in, um, it's not going to work. But if you're that, I, I, I'm very hopeful that people can do that. I think the other thing is learning to ask better questions, which certainly is a passion of mine. Um, but I think it's also the courage to be able to unlearn and to assess, is the way we've done it in the past the best thing for us and how we do this in the future? And always holding that uh, in healthy tension between learning and unlearning and relearning. All those things are incredibly important in this season. So resiliency is like a muscle. If you don't use the muscle, it atrophies. But if you use it, you can start with a one-pound barbell. If you're really weak, that's fine. At least just be able to begin to use it. And you can work up over time to a 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, even 50-pound barbell over a period of time. Um, but we've got to use the resiliency muscle or we're just going to atrophy and it's going to be, we're going to be even weaker than before. 
in my case, a hundred pound barbells, but I guess this isn't about <laughs> physical fitness today. We're talking about resilience. Um, I, I'm curious, let, let's make a distinction or, or I guess a connection between the theological right now and the practical. What must we believe about God, JR, if we are to become resilient leaders? Yeah, what's what's interesting is that our faith should absolutely impact how we think about resilience. Uh, and, and there are so many examples of this. I mean, I think of the, the people of God, the Israelites, uh, it, we see in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, they're, they're wandering around the wilderness. And God says, I want you to construct a portable tent called a tabernacle, and my presence is going to be there. And what's interesting is in Numbers chapter 9, in the middle of that chapter, it says that the tabernacle was completed and the cloud of God's presence covered it. At night, there was a fire. In a day, there was a cloud. And sometimes the cloud over the tabernacle stayed for only a few days. But it, sometimes it was just from evening to morning. Sometimes it was a month or a few days or even a year. But whenever it moved, the people of God would move. And I actually think that God was teaching his people about deepened trust, but also about how to be resilient. Um, so that's from the Old Testament. Um, but then I think about the New Testament where Jesus talked about new wine and new wineskin. And so fermenting gases, you know, they expand and contract. And we need to have these, they didn't have wine bottles back then, but they had these bladders of leather that would be pliable and flexible and be able to expand and contract with the gases. And in many ways, I, Jesus says we need to have new wineskins to meet the new wine. There's a whole bunch of new wine right now. And my concern is that we are be we would be willing, um, we would be unwilling to bring new wineskins, and we would just use the old wineskins of what worked: practicality, heritage, tradition, history, competency, efficiency. All those things that we've known in the past say, "Well, it worked in the past. I'm sure it'll work in the future." And we need new wineskins. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And this is new wineskin time. So. I think that, you know, even Jesus in John 8 talked about how the wind blows wherever it pleases. You know, we hear the sound, but we don't know where it's coming from. But he said, everyone that's born from the Spirit is like wind, <laughs> that we are just following the Spirit wherever the Spirit may lead. And so I think that this is really important. We actually have a theology of resilience. Yes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we have a God who expresses himself to his people in a variety of ways throughout history. And Dallas Willard, one of my heroes, he said, the seven deadly words of the church are, we've never done it that way before. And there's so much prophetic truth in that, and that we need to be the kinds of people that are willing to maybe even take that same phrase, but have a different attitude. We've never done it that way before, dot, dot, dot. Let's try. Let's see what happens. Give it we a shot. need to... Yeah, let's let's give it a go and and let's let's try some kingdom experiments. It may not work, we may fail, but we'll learn along the way. Let's figure it out together. This is the season for experimentation. I mean, if you think about absolutely um, the chance to try something new, uh, a small bet, take your next right step and just see, by the way, it may actually work for a week or two and then it may not work beyond that. We've seen several phases of that even during COVID of this worked for a second and then it didn't. So I think sometimes the danger is, oh, we found it. It works well. That may be just for a moment as well. So success can be challenging. Failure can be challenging or not taking the risk and feeling the freedom to experiment may be the most challenging piece right now. I can honestly say, Absolutely. I don't know uh, more things 
than I ever could in the past. And it's um, a few things I can control. I can say, yes, I do know. Um, how can I control my gratitude today, my attitude, my schedule? Um, what will this look like in a few months? Mostly, I just say, I don't know. We need to wait a few yeah. weeks to to just see what the next few weeks beyond that looks like. And oh yeah, it could all change uh, on one governor's order or you know one spike in the pandemic again. Who knows? Uh, and honestly, I'm taking some great comfort in having very little control right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny you say this, Alan, because just yesterday I recorded an episode for, uh, it'll be, I believe next week, end of next week on the podcast. And it was all about teaching leaders to say the phrase, I don't know. (laughs) And that it's much better for us to be people that can calmly, confidently, yet humbly say to our people, what are we, when they ask, what are we supposed to do? I don't know, but we'll figure it out together. We'll learn. We may fail along the way. I don't know. But instead of pretending and faking it and lying our way through, trying to be the the brilliant, strong one up front, what the world needs are leaders that are willing to say, I don't know, let's figure it out together. We'll do that. And that's why I love, I'm back to unlearning. I mean, the late futurist Alvin Toffler, one of my favorite quotes, he said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And uh, that has always stuck with me. Um, Now, that's, again, more on a sort of non-church side of things. But there was a theologian by the name of Hans Kung, who I think wins the uh, Theological Name of the Year Award, Hans Kung. And in his book, The Church is the People of God, he said this. He said, a church which pitches its tents without constantly looking for new horizons, which does not continually strike camp, is being untrue to its calling. We must play down our longing for certainty, accept what is risky, and live by improvisation and experiment. And there's that word that you just talked about, Alan, experiment. We've got to be people that are willing to be the R&D, the research and development department of the kingdom of God, especially now. Kingdom experiments, this is the time to do that. Yeah, this is the moment. I'm almost thinking about whether people are saying flexibility, adaptability, resilience. Everyone is saying leaders that favor change and action amidst the change. I don't know anybody that's not saying that's a a needed skill. We had Ken Costa, British economist, uh, very uh, foundational in Holy Trinity Brompton, where Alpha was started. Um, And he said flexibility is a must in his brilliant British accent. And I almost think about it like, uh, stretching, um, dexterity training. I'm not very flexible, but I could stretch and become more flexible over time if that becomes a practice or a discipline. So what are some practices, JR, that have helped you become more resilient? Get really specific for us. Like on a regular basis, what are some things that help you stay adaptable, flexible, and resilient? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, a couple things. Uh, first of all, is to be resolved to just make the commitment to be a lifelong learner. Um, how do we do that? Uh, I read broadly. I listen to podcasts outside of my field. Um, I just, if we can always cultivate an insatiable desire and curiosity for learning, it will help us where we just say, I wonder if, I imagine if we tried, or why is it like that? I think that's that's the best thing that we can do more than anything else is to cultivate a lifelong learning posture in what we're doing. Uh, number two is, uh, is just those assumptions that we hold, even those convictions, to realize that we live by convictions, but we need to hold them loosely. And so I ask myself several questions like, what if I'm wrong? Or is there another way to think about it? Or 
if this method we're using no longer worked, what would we do instead? Um, on a very practical level, I just did this uh, a couple hours ago before logging on here to record this with you, is uh, I go for a walk. I leave my screens uh, at home uh, and I just go for a walk, whether it's around the block or for an hour. It's amazing how much thinking and un unlearning happens when I'm out on a walk. Um, and I'm not the first person to do this. There's a whole slew of people from uh, Steve Jobs to Charles Darwin to a whole bunch of other uh, leaders throughout history that they did their best thinking, their, their most uh, critical and deepest thinking when they were out on a walk. And so um, those are some things that come to mind, um, even surrounding myself with people who don't always think like me. Um, and to just not have the ego um, that is unwilling to admit when I've changed my mind. There are some things just with this pandemic that talking with my wife recently, I said, you know what? I think I've changed my mind on that. And rather than dig my heels in and just say, nope, not changing my mind to just humble myself enough to say, you know, I might've been wrong about that. I actually think that, uh, that I think this now and here's why. So those are, those are some practices in some ways that I've tried to cultivate that. But I, maybe the biggest and most foundational of it all is just living with our hands wide open, uh, with not, not gripped and grasped uh, tightly, but our, our hands open, palms up to be able to say, Lord, uh, I'm not God, you're God, you're in control, I'm here to be a steward. And I want to be faithful and available and teachable and hungry in the process. But this is your world, not mine. This is your uh, your future that I want to live into, not mine. And so just trying to live with that palms up, open-handed approach that, uh, Lord, whatever you want, you're in charge. Well, guys, check out the fresh podcast, Resilient Leaders, with JR leading the charge on that uh, short, punchy uh, to the point, and I think really distilled down for us as we walk, uh, as we drive, as we take a few minutes to really think about our leadership in that. So I would encourage you to jump over, uh, subscribe, check that out. JR, anything else on this topic of resilience that, that you'd love to share with our listeners as we close? Well, I just want to, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. And uh, I think the idea of resiliency isn't going away. Uh, this is not some fad. I think we're going to be talking about this for a long time. And so I think I just want to want to finalize uh, this by saying that resiliency is a mindset. Uh, it, it involves actions, but it's not like, hey, what are the four things I have to do to be resilient? It's more of who do I become? It's, it's, a, it's, a, really re, it's a refining process. It's a transformational process, not a transactional one. And so I would just want to encourage everybody to be patient with ourselves in this process. We're going to fail. We're going to get it wrong. We need to be patient with other people at the same time. And I think of something that, uh, that Lacey, uh, Lacey Borgo mentioned to us uh, uh, about a year ago, I guess. She said, be as, be as patient with yourself as God is with you. And that has stuck with me. And I think that's really important for us in this season with so much uncertainty that we are as patient and as gracious with ourselves as God is with us. And uh, yeah, I, I, that's, that's, that's all I have to say about that, as Forrest Gump said. <laughs> well, let me just leave us with a question, uh, and actually two questions I think will be helpful as we, as we exit out today. What do you need to unlearn in your life for leadership right now? What, what do you need to unlearn 
And then what do you need to relearn about your life in leadership right now? The reality is some things that you used to do or are still doing are not working any longer. And this has been really helpful for me to unlearn the way that I'm doing certain things and to relearn and build that back up. Uh, Many of you feel like you've gone through kind of a cleanse. And if you've been through a cleanse and you literally maybe just have juice for a while or you go you know, drink some disgusting fluids, you're not going to go back and binge on the exact same foods that you were. You're going to slowly introduce them back. So I think about unlearning the way we live and lead in that particular area that you identify and then relearning that, slowly introducing those things, those practices back into your life. JR, thanks for stopping by the podcast and I guess I'll catch you on FaceTime. Thanks, Al. Great to be with you. We ain't focused so long.